This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Joyce Teo. Welcome to The Straits Times Health Check. Today, we're going to talk about an activity that some people continue to do, come rain or shine, COVID-19 or not, and that's smoking. We all know that it is harmful. According to the World Health Organization, smoking impairs lung function, making it harder for the body to fight off not just coronaviruses but other diseases. Available research suggests that smokers are at higher risk of developing severe COVID-19 outcomes and death. Yet many people continue to smoke. Dr. Lambert Lowe, a consultant at the National Addictions Management Service at the Institute of Mental Health, says people underestimate the power of the nicotine in the cigarettes. It is highly addictive. Let's hear from him. Hi, Dr. Lambert. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joy, for having me. Hi. So what do we know about smoking in COVID times? Are smokers more vulnerable to being infected? Thanks for the question, Joyce. I think recently there has been a French study that has raised the possibility of nicotine actually being protective against COVID infections. However, I must say that this study is quite preliminary in nature and it's actually a cross-sectional study, meaning that the evidence that they present are not so robust. And I think we have also not made any kind of speculation as to whether nicotine is indeed protective against COVID beyond saying that probably more research has to be done in this area. So I think all in all, the jury is still out there. And for me, I think the WHO has also suggested that smokers are probably more likely to get COVID instead of being protected against COVID because the act of smoking in itself actually requires the smoker to bring the cigarette their mouth and this kind of gestures done repeatedly necessarily means that you're more at risk because you're potentially bringing more pathogens to your mouth every time you repeat the action of smoking. You see. I see. The WHO did say that smokers are at higher risk of developing severe COVID-19 outcomes and death. Yeah, I, I do agree with that because we all know that mm-hmm. smoking actually inhibits the function of something called cilia, which are small little cells that line your airway and protect the airway against uh, infection. In general, smoking kind of destroys or inhibits the function of these uh, cilia and as a result, mucus tends to clog up in the airways in smokers mm-hmm. and therefore, smokers will be predisposed more towards any sorts of lung infection, including that of COVID. I see. Then that would depend on whether they have smoked for a long time or not, right? I mean, like, for example, whether you smoke for a year or like 20 years. Well, definitely, you're right, Joyce. I think the longer you smoke, the more chronic you are as a smoker, the more likely it is that, you know, the more of your cilia will have been damaged. And therefore, the chances of your lung repairing itself will be lesser. Mm-hmm. And with these uh, chronicity of smoking, definitely, your chances of getting a more serious lung infection of any sort would be higher. I see. Interesting. So you also mentioned that, you know, nicotine in the cigarettes, right, largely to be blamed for people being addicted to smoking. So what is it in, you know, like in nicotine that makes us disregard the fact that smoking comes as I think first and foremost, we have to understand a little bit about nicotine. Nicotine is probably one of the most addictive chemicals we have on this planet. Some even compare Mm -hmm. it to heroin and cocaine in terms of its addictiveness. It is a chemical that crosses something called the blood-brain barrier very easily. It Mm -hmm. uses it within seconds and it enacts its effects on the nicotinic receptors in the brain very quickly because of its size, Mm -hmm. because of its structure. And therefore, Mm -hmm. this nicotine then hijacks the reward centers of the brain and uh, makes Mm -hmm. you crave for more and more nicotine. I see. It sounds a bit scary if it's the same as heroin. But I guess the negative effect is not so strong, which is why people don't think about it. Yeah, I guess the addictive potential of nicotine is what I meant to be as addictive as heroin and cocaine. Of mm-hmm. course, if you talk about the side effects of heroin or cocaine, 
definitely in terms of overdose death and all that, that's another talk altogether. But uh, in terms of the mm-hmm. addictive potential, nicotine is clearly way up there in terms of its addictive potential. I see. So well, why do people want to pick up smoking in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. How harmful the habit is? I think a lot of times when smokers pick up the habit, it's usually when they are in their teens. Most of the cases mm-hmm. who start smoking are pretty young. Mm-hmm. And therefore, at such a, a young age, a lot of things become very impressionable. Smokers mm-hmm. tend to be peer influenced, especially if their close friends are smoking or even if a family member is smoking, which is why many times when I do see adolescents in my practice, some of them have been smoking and some of them have been heavily peer influenced and some because the family member is actually smoking, which makes it very difficult for them mm. to actually quit if the family member himself or herself doesn't actually stop smoking because the influence would still continue to be there. There are of course other reasons why people pick up smoking. Sometimes mm. people pick up smoking due to stress. They feel that mm-hmm. nicotine relieves their anxiety at the end of the long day. So there are many different reasons and of course it doesn't really help that nicotine is itself very addictive. So the moment you try a cigarette or two, chances are pretty soon you'll be addicted to it. I see. But if it's only about the nicotine, you know, why do people want to like pick up a bad habit again after quitting or actually think about it, you know, like drugs? Okay, so when you make the analogy to drugs, so it's true, nicotine is a drug. Many times mm-hmm. once, as we talked about the reward center being hijacked, so many times mm-hmm. once a reward center gets hijacked, once people start having a pleasurable stimulus associated with something, it becomes harder to quit a substance, for instance, uh, nicotine, because you have that good feelings associated with it. And definitely, mm-hmm. the withdrawals also doesn't help because once people start withdrawing from nicotine, the body suffers these kind of withdrawal symptoms. For instance, they feel lightheaded, dizzy, they feel you know, difficulty in concentration. Mm-hmm. So all these withdrawal symptoms as well as the cravings make it very hard to quit something once you're addicted to it. I see. But what if you have quit? You know, because I know of people who have quit and then yes. come back to it, you know, after, I don't know, five years, maybe even 10 years, you know. Well, uh, some not even that long. I have patients that mm. I see in my practice who have come back after a few months. I think the reason right. is because it is actually inherently quite hard to quit smoking. Number one, the nicotine itself makes it very hard because sometimes when you are exposed to people who smoke, it's very hard based on the behavioral cues that you see from your friends who are smoking. That kind of triggers memories of what mm-hmm. it felt like to have been smoking. And mm-hmm. sometimes the nicotine itself, because it triggers memories of what it felt like to have been on that drug. So inherently, mm-hmm. it kind of triggers the reward cascade all over again and makes it more easy to pick up smoking once again. After a while, it's not just about the nicotine. It's also about the changes in the brain structure that makes it more sensitive to some of these behavioral mm-hmm. cues that you are exposed right. to if you're in a company of other smokers, for instance. I yeah, see. definitely. It's not just about nicotine itself. Nicotine plays a large part, no doubt. But mm-hmm. behavioral cues associated with smoking the lighting up, mm-hmm. the hand gestures associated with it. Even sometimes seeing a cigarette pack shot from across the mm-hmm. road will trigger memories of what it felt like to have been smoking and this makes uh, the relapse more likely. I see. Uh, smoking cessation is, is not just about giving you nicotine replacement therapy, it's also about helping you handle all these other cues, managing uh, relapse signatures, helping you walk through mm-hmm. what it's like to be exposed to all such cues and how to handle it better. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to Health Check. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now back to a conversation with Dr. Lambert Lowe, an addiction specialist at IMH. Dr. Lambert, what are the challenges that people have? Or actually, maybe the key challenge that people have in the patients that you see? Well, I've seen many, many patients, and they all come from different walks of life. They could be as young as adolescents and all the way to very old age. So I think the challenges are different at each stage of life. For the adolescents, I think it's about handling peer pressure. It's about what to do if they are not smoking. 
and uh, how to effectively quit smoking despite having friends who are currently still smoking and despite maybe sometimes even having a family member who's still smoking. And I think the challenge for that is to actually navigate around the family as a unit to convince the other family members to step forward to come for treatment. Because to me, it's very difficult to just proceed with one member of the family quitting smoking when the other members in the household are still continuing to exert that kind of behavioral influence on the kids. So that's the challenge I have for adolescent smokers. For adult smokers, the picture becomes a bit different because some of the patients who see me can smoke as many as 106 cigarettes a day. That's just a huge amount of cigarettes they're smoking in one day. And for, for that, it becomes very chemical in nature. My treatment has to be very uh, targeted towards bringing the level of nicotine addiction down. And sometimes it involves the use of multiple agents, uh, using both a nicotine replacement therapy agent as well as uh, medications like varanicline, for instance. So the challenge is then to tackle a very recalcitrant kind of smoking behavior for such heavily addicted individuals. So I think the challenge is very different depending on which group of clients or smokers I'm talking about. Is the success rate higher for certain groups? I wouldn't say that, but I mean, a success rate is higher for certain groups as opposed to the motivation level. Very often I see clients may not be extremely motivated or 100% confident of thing and they kind of abandon the process halfway. So I would say that sometimes it takes time for a particular treatment to work. And definitely if something has not worked for you before, if a particular treatment modality is not working for you, do not give up because some of my patients actually give up because they do not see the effects of a particular treatment coming on soon after starting. So I think patience is also key and also finding the right combination that works for you. So yeah, that is my advice. Right, and then since we're on this topic, what about the use of e-cigarettes? Some of them are actually nicotine-free and you know some people have advocated for the use of these in helping people to quit smoking. Okay, firstly, e-cigarettes are illegal in Singapore. So uh, I draw a reference from probably studies abroad. And I think mm-hmm. e-cigarettes as a whole is a very understudied subject even up to now because it has only been around for probably a decade or so. Many times uh, when people talk about e-cigarettes being helpful to help smokers quit smoking, I think this is a very dangerous assumption because from the studies in the United States, we know that a huge percentage of people who use e-cigarettes end up continuing smoking as well. So these are what we call dual users. So in fact, these smokers would have potentially quit smoking if they had used traditional forms of uh, smoking cessation agents. But now, because of uh, using e-cigarettes, they have transitioned to what we call dual use and may never quit cigarettes completely. So e-cigarettes itself is also potentially quite harmful. There have been studies showing that they have uh, much less chemicals compared to a traditional cigarette, but it is not without its own chemicals, its own set of chemicals, including uh, cancer-causing agents like formaldehyde, flavorants, which can induce lung injury, and uh, heavy metals, for instance. So there are a lot of chemicals in e-cigarettes that could cause a lot of potential harm to those using it, and at the same time to those around us as well, because these aerosols, they are quite pervasive. And when a user exhales an aerosol, it covers a huge ground, and a person could breathe in secondhand aerosol anytime without even realizing it, because some of these aerosols may not they may not smell, uh, or they are somewhat odorless, so you may not even know that you're around the vicinity of someone who's uh, smoking an e-cigarette. So I think there are many, many uh, problems associated with the use of e-cigarettes, and we shouldn't be taking uh, the risk that it has on our population lightly, especially amongst our youth, who we know have a propensity to actually become addicted to e-cigarettes, as has been shown in the United States, where there has been this, uh, what has been termed an epidemic amount of youth, because they come in all sorts of flavors, they come in all sorts of nice-looking gadgets, which kids are inherently attuned to. So the addictive potential of e-cigarettes has been proven in the United States by the millions of young adults and high school students addicted to e-cigarettes. And therefore, drawing a lesson from the U.S., we probably need to be more mindful 
about the message that we are showing to our teams in Singapore. I see. Thanks, Dr. Lambert, for joining us today. Thank you, Joyce. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check. That was Dr. Lambert Lowe, an addiction specialist at IMH. Thanks for listening and do watch out for our next episode in two weeks' time. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.